just uh, harvest, I just want to let us know that um, we've got a call to raise disciples, and that clearly involves our call of raising disciples right here in our own house, isn't it? And uh, what an opportunity. It was so special. Both services, my word, what a delight to see God uh, growing this place and children. Also just was asked to pass on, pass on a thank you to you. Uh, Karen and I were up in Chicago, and last week, if you were here, we had all people, as many as could sign three little go-kart tires, and we took those up to Chicago just as some creative thank you gifts, and got to give those to Zappias, and uh, we planted the first Harvest Church, and as well as uh, with James and Kathy, and uh, James pulled me aside, and he said he wanted, he asked if I would just tell you thank you, uh, really, it just, uh, um, he really so appreciates uh, uh, gifts that are out of the norm and personal, and so uh, he wanted to say thank you for that. Um, dads, happy Father's Day. Men, happy Father's Day. And I also want to say, single moms, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Um, it is a delightful day. Um, I'm thrilled to be able to have my father-in-law here, and what a delight with that. Uh, Father's Day has a couple unique emotions about it. I know that for me, uh, I am so grateful as a son to have had the father that I had, a father who loved the Lord, a father who clearly was not perfect, but genuinely loved the Lord and provided so many opportunities and just experiences. My dad was a craft master at creating experiences for his sons. And I'm so grateful for that. And I rejoice in that and thank God for it. I'm also so thankful to be a father with two children and Grown children are married, and what a delight it is to see them loving the Lord, and I rejoice in that. And Father's Day is special. It is a special day. And yet in it, there's also the capacity, I realize for some, it can be a day where it's hard, a day where there's hurts that are brought up, a day where I'll even say I kind of ache as a, as a father and a pastor and as a dad, as a husband, as a man, because of what's going on in our world today. We live in a world and in a culture right now where oftentimes fathers are minimalized and marginalized. And um, scripture doesn't talk about dads in that way. And so we're not gonna talk about dads in that way today. In fact, I want to use today as an opportunity to not uh, to, to counteract the reality that so often in our media, dads are portrayed as these disengaged kind of clueless buffoons. And instead, what I want to do, dads and men, I want to have us go to the scriptures and I want to encourage you. Uh, along with the encouragement, I don't want to just kind of pack, pat you on the back. I really, I want to challenge you. I want to be a man who runs after God's heart. I want to be a man who runs hard after the Lord. I, as a pastor, I want to be a pastor that raises men that run hard after the Lord. And I'd say it this way, men that run hard after God are superheroes. Superheroes are uh, really in today. And I love superheroes. Have ever since a kid reading comics and some of them that come up are like the X-Men. And I have to say this, uh, what man besides the hairdo doesn't want to be Wolverine? I mean, it's just like, what a stud. And just, you know, you know and take any, anybody, anything on. And uh, it's just, it's fun and to watch and everything. And then there's uh, recently the Avengers 
I mean, there's Iron Man and Captain America, Hulk, Thor. Who the others are, I don't know. I don't really care. They never told you who they are. And so it's like, I just want to be one of those four, fine with me. Uh, and then there is Batman. And the next one coming out soon, I can't wait. Um, I will say, as a boy growing up watching Batman, Batman used to be the pow and the zap and the, the bam man in tights. Uh-uh, not no longer. I mean, this is Batman nowadays, and uh, he is something else. He's a superhero, but I'm going to tell you about my ultimate hero man is Maximus Decimus Meridius. Yeah. (laughs) Maximus Decimus Meridius. What I love about him in the story of Gladiator is that he is a superhero, and he has no supernatural ability. I love that fact. Also, what I love about him is he does not have a tycoon-funded gadget belt as well. He's just a man. And uh, it cranks me up. I love watching these superheroes, and they are very cool. Um, Yet, I will also say that these superheroes are also very fantasy. And uh, we live in real world. Um. So I think one of the questions comes out is, are there superheroes today? And um, as I'm going to be defining it, I would say yes. And I would ask you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you're visiting with us, and I'll even just say, if you're a parent of one of these uh, blessed couples up here with grandchild or whatever, I want to let you know that your kids attend a church that don't just uh, take a peek at the Bible and then put it away. We're a church that's committed to biblical truth. And uh, we are all about opening it up, digging into it, and delving out and mining out what God has for us. If you don't have a Bible with you, we should have some people coming around, flag them down. But we're going to Hebrews 11 towards the end of your Bible. And I want to define in our discussion, I want to define a superhero as this. It's a redeemed man that runs hard after God. Uh, We're talking about a redeemed man. We're not talking about a perfect man. We're not talking about a six-pack abs man because we'd all be in trouble, most, well, not all of us, but most of us. We're not talking about Superman. We're talking about an ordinary man. But we are talking about an ordinary man that is one who is ordinary in the fact that they are a sinner. They're not perfect. Uh, a man who is imperfect, but yet a man who has come to realize their sinfulness and realize their need of a glorious Savior. We sang about that earlier. And realize the need and come to the place where they've received Christ as their Savior and they've been redeemed. A redeemed man is what we're talking about today. And a redeemed man that runs hard, not a redeemed man that's lazy in life or couch potatoes life away or prodigal sons their life away. Or like uh, the scriptures talk about, not a man that runs like one boxing the air or as one who is running aimlessly after that which perishes, but that redeemed man that is doing life, is pursuing life with with a, a purpose tenacity. Men, we're talking about that kind of a man, a, a redeemed man that pursues Christ. It runs hard after God. That's the prize. He's a Philippians 3 man. Paul talks about, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing his sufferings. I mean, that kind of a man. 
1 Corinthians 5 talks about how for the love of Christ compels me, no longer living uh, for myself, but for him. We're talking about that kind of a man. That kind of a man is a superhero. But what does a superhero like that look like? It's nice to talk about and, and it's kind of like, I want that, I want to be that. But what does that look like? Are there superheroes that have lived that we could look at and get some encouragement and be challenged by? And absolutely it is. That's why we're in Hebrews chapter 11. Got your Bibles there? Hebrews chapter 11. That's what we're gonna do. And before we go in there, let me just say this, men, dads, um, we're going to be talking about six ways to be running hard after God. I want for you to be going through this today and, and, and looking at these six are a lot. You can get overwhelmed with these and it's like, I can't, can I really do all of these? And I just want to ask you as we go through it, I'd like for you to pick one out that you're like, I'm seeing growth in my life. If God were here and he were to say, where's growth going on in my life? That's one area. And I want for you to get that and I want for you to praise the Lord for it. God's work at your life. Secondly, I want for you to pick one out of these six and it's like, I need to get after that. I need to increasingly see that one take more in my life. So men, six ways to run after God. Now, women, uh, wives, and also teens. I wanna talk to you just for a second. Uh, this six list is not a judgment list. This is not the list for you to go through and to pick out the area where uh, your husband or whatever is not doing well. Instead, oh, let's call it this. This is your prayer list. This is the list that you're going to have for this week and the coming weeks. Pray these things for your dad. Pray these things for your husband, the father of your children. Wives, these should be the kind of things that in these six that you're asking yourself, how am I helping as his helper? How am I helping my husband be that? Okay, we got it? Let me pray. God, I wanna thank you for the time in your word. May you encourage us, challenge us, and empower us. This is not about how awesome we are. This is all about being men that are all about your awesomeness. Oh God, do a work in us. In Christ's name, amen. Number one, like Abel, I am to run hard after God with my worship. Like Abel, I'm to run hard after God with my worship. Hebrews chapter 11, verse four. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks today. Well, let's put some context to this. And we're gonna be touching, literally just touching on each of these stories. Genesis uh, 4 tells us that Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve. Can you imagine that? I mean, I love being at the starting of things. <laughs> it doesn't get more starting than that. And there are there Adam and Eve, and I can just imagine all the stories that Adam and Eve told Cain and Abel. Wow, that must have been quite a situation. Cain was a crop farmer, the text tells us. Abel kept sheep. Uh, God had revealed to Adam and Eve and his descendants how to worship. We actually don't have a whole lot of that in the text in Genesis, but uh, we, what we find here is we find Cain bringing an offering to the Lord, and so does Abel. Uh, God receives Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Warren Wearsby says this about it. Uh, Cain was not rejected because of his offering, he, but his offering was rejected because of Cain. 
Cain had a heart problem. Cain was doing the religious activity. Cain was doing the religious ditty dance. Cain did the thing, but there was not heart behind it. There was not real worship behind it. There was not faith behind it. And the text here in Hebrews tells us the difference came about with Abel. By the way, Abel was the younger brothers. Yeah, go younger brothers. By faith, Abel offered to God. How did faith offer? Uh, By faith. Uh, What is faith? Well, let's look at verse one in chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By the way, in, in the form of the text there, I want for you to understand, this isn't like some, like, I sure hope that happens willy-nilly. That's not what it's talking about. This is a manly kind of a text in the original. It's giving this idea of, listen, faith is something, there is an assurance, there is a conviction This is not wimpy faith. This is deep embedded, built on. uh, Christianity is for thinking people. And it's built on that. We add to that verse six in chapter 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Put those two together. And I love this definition of faith. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel knowing that God promises a good result. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how I feel, knowing that God promises a good result. We're gonna see some of that come out here as we move along. Cain may have thought he was at the right place with God, but actually he had fooled himself. Cain wasn't. And I just want to use that man and caution us and challenge us. I just want to say, listen, if you're one who's wrapped up in kind of the religiosity of like doing some things that make you right with God by your own efforts, I just want to tell you, please, as a man to a man, don't fool yourself. Don't con yourself. Instead here, we find Abel as Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God. Abel ran after God with his worship. There was real deal, faith-backed worship in what Abel did. Listen, dads, your kids need to see you running hard after God in your worship. Is your worship just kind of like, and I'm not just talking here. I'm talking in all of life. Are you a man that worships the Lord kind of like, yeah, whatever. I want to tell you, if you've had a dad who has the real deal, serious worship of the Lord, living for the worship, thank God for that. And if you haven't, guess what? You have the opportunity to start a new generation that does. Be that, dads. Let's be that kind of a man who's all about the worship of the Lord. Second, like Enoch, I am to run hard after God with my walk. Verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Genesis chapter four tells us that Enoch is the son of Cain. That's interesting. Remember Cain? Just talked about him. Uh, By the way, Cain murdered his brother Abel as a result of the worship. Uh, Can I just say this? Sometimes uh, when we worship God rightly, we think God reward me. Listen, worshiping the Lord is not a, I give, I get a gumball. 
Worshiping the Lord is full life on the table. Lord, you do with it as you want. And yet even out of the reality that Cain murders Abel and all of a sudden Enoch comes along and Enoch is the son of Cain who murdered his brother. And yet Enoch in Genesis chapter five, verses 22 and verse 24, two times in Genesis as it's going through this lineage, it tells us one thing about Enoch, states it twice. It says, Enoch walked with God. Bam, man, I'm telling you, if there are three words in life that you would want to have said about you, man, woman, child, anybody, would that not be it? And by the way, God said that about him. God said, not me, not someone else. God said, there was a man that walked with God, walking with the Lord, step by step. In the text here, it tells us that Enoch pleased the Lord. Hey men, as you're walking through life, are you thinking at home right now in this situation, at work, out and about, at entertainment, Lord, how can I please you now? How about right now? Lord, how can I please you now? Because this is about walking with you. Is the gap between my theology and my practical living, is it far separated or are they together? Listen, kids need to see a dad that is bringing them together more and more. Not a perfect dad. They're not always there. Listen, none of us are perfect. What a testimony it is when a child, even if it's an adult child, sees a dad who is turning to the Lord and their faith walk matches their theology. Man, that's a beautiful thing. That was Enoch. Dads, your kids need to see you life walk it, not just worship it. Third, we're buzzing through these. Like Noah, I'm to run hard after God with my work. Verse seven, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark of the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. In Genesis 6, God gives Noah a crazy wild task. And in fact, it tells of Noah, it says that he was a righteous man, a blameless man. By the way, not not a perfect man, but he was a pursuing God man. And by the way, he's also the great, great grandson, or he's the, or I'm sorry, let me say that. Enoch was his great grandfather. And by the way, they lived a long time in those days. And Noah saw a lot of his grandfather, his great grandfather. Can you imagine that? You having a great grand, great, great grandfather or whatever great it is. Can you imagine having a great grandfather like that to watch? The impact of that is huge. Noah is one of my personal heroes, uh, having been in business for 20 years. And you look at Noah, and I, I just go, what a crazy task. Uh, God at the time gives him this task of building this floating hotel, this floating zoo. Uh, it's huge. How big is it? It's huge boat. They didn't even have boats back then. 
And so when you look at it and you, you, and we've talked about Noah in the past, and I had just as an example gone through, if a tree was, you know, 12 inches by 12 inches by, I think it was like 20 feet long or something like that. I'd calculate it out of the whole thing. Can you imagine this? This is why Noah is my hero. For 22 years of his career, all right? His career for 22 years was cutting down trees, shaping trees, moving trees, placing trees, attaching trees, and covering trees with par, tar, pat, uh, whatever, stuff. That was his job. After 22 years of doing that, over the time I'd taken time for vacations and the whole thing out, after all of that stuff, when you look at 22 years, all he has is the base of the boat laid out. I mean like a massive dock a huge wood floor. Can you imagine? What are you doing for 20 years? Cutting trees, shaping trees, hauling trees, placing trees, attaching trees, covering trees. And you've only got the first floor. And yet the scriptures tell us that Noah did all that God asked him to do. At what point in time do you not have a bad day? At what point in time do you not have a bad attitude week or month? He had no chainsaw. He had no backhoe. He had none of that. Noah was a man. Why do you work, men? What's the purpose of your work? I mean, seriously, have you thought that through? Why do you work? I think sometimes as men, we just naturally get so caught up in the, the money part of it and the position of it and, and, and the status of it and, and what it can buy us and get us and make us look like. And uh, seriously, who cares? I mean, we're just living a dot in the reality of the line of eternity right now. And I'm all for, man, I don't have any problem with people advancing in positions and going after advancements in positions. I don't have any problem with people making money. I don't have any problem. Scripture doesn't have any problem with people making a lot of money. God can bless that way. But I still ask the question, men, why are you working? And I'll just say this. I think one of the things we see from Noah, by the way, Noah's sons, oh yeah, they were a part of the whole ark thing, weren't they? Are, are, are you working for you? Or are you working for the Lord? And I just don't want to make that kind of an easy platitude statement, but I'm dead serious about it. Your kids, your grandkids need to see a dad who does their job under the Lord, for the Lord. Man, big challenge there. Fourth, like AIJJ, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, I'm to run hard after God with my waiting. This is a hard one. Verse 8 through 19 uh, longest part of chapter 11, talking about one man, Abraham. By faith, Abraham, verse 8, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, 
as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward. Uh, I would encourage you to underline looking forward. Uh, For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By the way, he never saw it during his lifetime. By faith, verse 11, here you go, ladies. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, if you stop there, you get this idea that Abraham lived his life. Abraham had a child and Sarah had a child and they were able to see God's covenant promise fulfilled in them. They were able to see the nation raised where there were kids out of them that were more than the sand on the the beaches, that were more than the stars in the sky. And by the way, back in that day, they could see a lot more stars in the sky than we can now within our cities, with our lights and stuff. Uh, But if you stop there getting the idea that's the case, that's not the case. Abraham did not see all that. Abraham was living looking forward. Abraham was living the dot in light of the line. Okay. In fact, we see that here in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land excuse me, from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By the way, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, i.e. by God, offered up Isaac. If you don't know the story, Uh, Abraham didn't have any children. Sarah, they didn't have any children. God had promised them a nation would come out of them. They're like a hundred years old, no children. And then God in his sovereign timing gives them a child. They have one child. What's the name of that child? Isaac. Isaac is the child. I mean, all bets are on that boy. Okay? And yet in it all, God says, testing Abraham, hey, Abraham, take the kid that I gave you and take him and sacrifice him. Crazy over the top. And Abraham does. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. By the way, this wasn't a one-year-old son. This wasn't a two-year-old son or a five-year-old son. This is more likely a teenage son. Can't even picture that in my head. What was going on in Abraham's mind? Well, let's keep reading. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. I just have to tell you, if God came, and by the way, he he won't, but (laughs) if God came and said to do this and and you're there doing it, I honestly, I, I just sit back at times and I wonder, would I have that thinking? Would I have that idea that that God was going to take? Whoa, I'm telling you, superhero of the faith. This is a manly man. This is a man running hard after God. God, you tell me to do it, I'm in full force. Even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
Abraham. He didn't know where he was going. He didn't know how God would accomplish his plans, when God would accomplish his plans, or why God would accomplish his plans. But Abraham lived as one waiting on the Lord. God, what you say, I'm on that. In your time, the way you want, you are the sovereign one, I am not. I submit to you, you are the Lord over all. I'm all in. By the way, it's also like Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, verses 20 to 22. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. All at the ends of their lives were passing the unseen covenant promise. Dads, your kids need to see you waiting on the Lord. Your kids need to see you being one who trusts on the Lord. We have some men here who are in the process of looking for jobs, are out of jobs. Hey, this is an opportunity to be a man that trusts in the Lord, living it before your kids. I don't know what's going or what could be taking place, but are you a man that trusts in the Lord? I just want to add a side note to this while I'm talking about these four, because Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph <laughs> were not perfect men. In fact, which gives me hope. And in fact, when you look at the scripture, these four men, these were men that were connivers at times, liars. They schemed. They took God's plan into their own hands at times. They did things their own way at times. They lived imperfectly and they trusted imperfectly. But isn't it amazing that they are placed here? What a gracious God. I just want to side note, let you know, dads, if you're at a place where you look back and you just go, I'm such a failure, you are in good company. Be encouraged. Life here in the dot time, it's not over. You have time to turn. You have time to change. God wants to do a work in you and out of you. Be a superhero now. Fifth, like Moses, I'm to run hard after God with my warring. My warring. Verse 23 to 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, love that, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the, the uh, fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Guys, reality, life is a battle. Life is a battle. 
We live in a spiritual battle. And if you right now, if you feel like life is a battle, it is. It just is. And far too often us guys, what we want to do is we want to run to the corner of comfort. We want to run into the corner with the couch and we want to kick it back and we want to step out of being engaged and we don't want to war. But we live in a war. We live in a spiritual battle for Moses. The world warred upon him. I mean, the world was tantalizing him with stuff and with power. For Moses, the people warred upon him. I just go through Moses, read through it, guys. You'll see this guy, how he puts up with his own people. I mean, at one point in time, does Moses just go, bag it. In fact, bag all of you. (laughs) I'm out. But Moses was one who didn't have his eyes fixed on the people. He had his eyes fixed on the Lord. And even when the people judged him, even when the people were critical on him, he was one who was pursuing after the Lord. An amazing, amazing man. The king warred upon him. But Moses just didn't lay down and roll over and be a wimp. Moses warred through life. And by the way, when Moses really came on the scene... He was an old man. Those of you who have some years on you, the war is not over. Why did he war? Verse 26, because Moses was about a greater wealth, looking to the greater reward. And in verse 27, he, you could say he was stuck on seeing him who is invisible. Is that you? Is that me? Stuck on the Lord, running hard, after him. Dad, your kids need to see you warring in life for the Lord. Lastly, Joshua. Joshua ran hard after God with his winning. Let's pick up verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. It doesn't even name Joshua, but Joshua was the man who followed after Moses. Moses died. Joshua's right-hand man picked up the baton. And in Joshua chapters two through six, God tells him uh, uh, to have the people walk with the Ark of the Covenant around uh, Jericho. Jericho was a city that was viewed as, as unconquerable. It was impossible to, to crush it. It was impossible to take it over. So God, I think in his humor and in his wanting to show his greatness, tells his people, I got an idea. Just walk around it. So here's the deal. Walk around it for seven days. Can you just imagine this? I mean, you're on the inside, you know, veggie deals are like throwing slushies and stuff, but you know, they're on the inside and and, and you come in and you're walking around and the whole, all, all the people walk around the city and then they go and it's like, ooh, I'm scared. You know, the people on the inside. And then the next day they walk around and ooh, and then they start laughing on the next day. And then it's like, they start mocking on the, and then it comes the seventh day and God tells them to walk around seven times. How many times? So they walk seven times around the city of Jericho. And after the seventh time, the priests blow the horn. And then all the people yell, ah! And while they're yelling, the whole city collapses in. The inconquerable city built by the hands of man totally collapses. Can you imagine being on the outside of that wall? My God's bigger than yours. Isn't it? Woo! 
But it's so interesting when you read the story, I'll just put this in. Uh, I love about Joshua is Joshua made sure that the attention did not come to him. But he made sure that the people took the attention to the Lord that made this battle. And I just want to say, men, your, your kids, your grandkids need to see and need to hear from you being a man that when God conquers in ways in life, find them, seek them, note them, and rejoice in them. God was in that thing. They need to hear that. They need to bring the practical and the theological together. And this is one of the ways when we see God do a winning work, when we rejoice in that, our kids get it. Now there's a dad who connects the dots. Oh, such cool stories. Are there more? There absolutely are. I'll just read a couple verses. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? The writer of Hebrews says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, uh, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the swords. Superheroes, isn't it? And by the way, these are regular men who had put their faith in Yahweh. And I just, if you will, in this, I would just say, men, our goal should be, if you will, that as this passage extends down over time, that in humility, oh, that your name, that my name would be placed there for God's glory. Very cool. So what do we do with this? Well, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, in other words, all those superheroes of the faith, those redeemed men running hard after God, since we're surrounded by all of those in history, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run, men, run. And it's running with endurance. It's not a hundred yard sprint. Oh, I wish it was. It's a long haul looking to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Man, that's a superhero. That's a superhero. Men, dads, what's one there that you can look at in humility? Go, God, thank you. I'm seeing that growing in my life. Wives, daughters, kids, what's one of those out of that list that you can look and go, I'm seeing that growing in my husband, the father of my children. I'm seeing him grow in his worship. I'm seeing him grow in his life walker. I'm seeing him grow in in bringing his work unto the Lord. I'm seeing him growing in his waiting for the Lord. I'm seeing him grow in his warring unto the Lord. He's standing up for Christ as opposed to caving in for self. And I'm seeing him winning battles or bringing the winning battles unto the Lord. Ladies, which one could you encourage your husband or your dad with? And also I would say, guys, what's one that maybe in men's term you've been fumbling the ball with? 
one that you haven't been doing so well. Can I encourage us to be men enough that admit it and say, I need to get after that one. And I need to pick the ball up and I need to start running again. Wives, kids, I would ask you not to expect perfection. I would ask you not to be critical. I would ask you to pray. Because you should walk away from a text like this and go, wow, there's a lot on his shoulders, isn't there? Go to your knees and pray for him. And let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. And you be his greatest helper. Okay? God, I want to thank you for the time and the word. I want to thank you for this day. What a special day it is to be able just to have some time to acknowledge dads, to acknowledge fathers. Lord, I thank you for my dad and just uh, oh, just so much. I thank you for my father-in-law. Wow, what a blessing in my life. Lord, I thank you for my kids. I'm blessed. And Lord, I, I, in it all, I realize that for some people, this can be a hard day because they may not have had a dad like I did or others have. But Lord, may I remind us that you are the sovereign father of all. You are the one that endures. Your love endures. Your grace is abounding. It is full. It is rich. And you love your children. Thank you. Father, I pray that we would be men that run hard after you. It's not an easy run. I pray we would cross the finish line of life, hands in the air, exhausted. I pray that we would be men that would be all engaged about your glory and not ours. God, thank you for your patience with us. Expand your magnificence in our lives. Draw us as we run after you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.